Well, good morning again. Let's take a moment and ask God to speak to us through his word. Would you bow with me? Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is life, that through your word we have truth and we have everything we need. And so we pray, Lord, that you would guide us by your spirit to hear what you have for us individually today as well as collectively as a church. Please speak through me, your servant, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I begin this morning with a story of two robins sitting in a tree. Has anyone seen this uh, play out before? This past week, seen any robins anywhere? A couple of you have. Did anyone, uh, after the sermon a couple of weeks back, has anyone taken note of any sparrows? Anyone? Anyone noticed a few? Okay, good, good. Because chances are you wouldn't have noticed them if you hadn't been looking, right? So, this story is about two robins sitting in a tree. I'm really hungry, said the first robin to the second. Starving, the other replied. So off they flew in search of some lunch. And much to their delight, they discovered a freshly plowed field just crawling with earthworms. So they swooped in, settled down, and ate and ate and ate until they could eat no more. I'm so stuffed, said the first. I don't think I'll be able to fly back up to the tree. Me either, replied the second. Let's just lie here a while and rest in this warm sun. So the two robins settled down and closed their eyes, basking in the warm rays of the sun. Little did they know that all the while, two lean farm cats had been stalking them. And no sooner had the two robins closed their eyes than seizing their opportunity, the cats pounced on the sunbathing birds and gobbled them up. Following their meal, the first cat licked his paw contentedly and said to the second, Don't you just love Baskin Robbins? <laughs> now, I realize that Baskin Robbins is more of an American thing. So, has anyone had Baskin Robbins ice cream shops? Anyone? A few of you have. You know what I'm talking about. It's more of an American thing. Maybe Robbins Donuts or Dairy Queen is more your thing. But the fact is that just as every creature has their preferred food, the robins preferred the earthworms, the cats preferred the birds, and we as humans prefer certain foods as well. We have our favorites, and of course, we also have our foods that we're not so fond of, things that we'd rather just avoid. In fact, we have so much food here in Canada, most of us, that we have the luxury of being picky. Does anyone here have struggled with a picky child or grandchild at all? We have that luxury of being picky. But how picky do you think you would be with your food if you were about to starve to death? How picky would you be if your stomach is growling and you haven't eaten in days? I bet you things that you normally wouldn't touch would suddenly look very appetizing, wouldn't they? So let me ask you, what's the longest, the absolute longest that you've ever gone without food? What's the longest? Has anyone anyone here gone 24 hours without food before? 24 hours? Okay, we've got quite a few hands. Has anyone here done 36 hours? Some of you may have done the 36-hour famine. Okay, I see a couple of hands. Anyone done 48 hours without food? Okay, there's one hand there. Anyone gone more than 72 hours without food? Looking for hands? No, everyone's out now. So no one here has gone more 
than two days or maybe a little over two days without food. The longest I've ever gone without food was the 36-hour famine. Any longer than that, and I would have had to put rocks in my pockets to keep from blowing away. So I had to stop there. The truth is, though, beyond this, most of us here don't know what real hunger is. But the one thing I do know is that when I am really, really hungry, my priorities change. It's like in that Snickers commercial on TV. I become hangry. You know, you're so obsessed by food, it's all you can think about. It's all you want. And, And you get grumpy because all you want is food. And as we turn now to Exodus 16, we see that this is also true for the children of Israel. We continue our story about a a month and a half after Israel has escaped from Egypt. Now, one might think after seeing those ten plagues in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the drowning of Pharaoh's army, or the transformation just shortly before of the water turning from bitter to sweet at Marah, that now facing something as simple as a food shortage, the children of Israel might have been saying things along the lines of, Wow, God has done so many incredible things. I just can't wait to see what he's going to do next. Don't you think they should have been saying some things like that? But what do they say? Well, turn with me to Exodus 16, and let's read the first three verses. Beginning in verse 1. The whole Israelite community sent out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt... In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this assembly to death. Now I think that's the definition of hangry right there. Hunger and anger combined. And notice, as they're grumbling, as they're complaining, they make things sound pretty good back in Egypt, right? Didn't they just kind of like sugarcoat what it was actually like in Egypt? You know, what do they remember? Oh, we had pots of meat, and we had all the food we wanted. Sounds like a bonanza buffet, complete with throwing up in the parking lot. No, sorry, not that part. (laughs) But you know, as as Israel is looking at their situation, they're hungry, they're hangry, they're thinking back to Egypt, they're only remembering the good aspects of it. But Israel has also forgotten a lot of things about Egypt. They've forgotten the beatings. They've forgotten the hard labor. They've forgotten how their baby boys were being thrown into the Nile River by Pharaoh's soldiers. Israel seems to have a very selective memory. They remember the meat pots in Egypt, but they have forgotten the God who parted the waters. But let me ask, is our memory all that much better? Don't we often have a selective memory as well? You know, when when we're facing a tough circumstance, we'll remember the good old days, and we'll remember the good things about the old days, but we often forget the bad things about the old days. We have a selective memory, just like Israel oftentimes. Now, I told you last week that the entire story of the Exodus parallels the Christian life. So it's highly symbolic that this entire event takes place in a location called the Desert of Sin, or the Wilderness 
of sin. God's word is making something crystal clear. For the children of God to grumble and complain, it is sin. Now, we might often excuse or justify our complaining and our grumbling as simply poor behavior. We won't go so far as calling it sin. But God's word is making it clear this behavior is sinful. And I'll, and I'll tell you exactly why. Let's look at a few verses that get to the heart of this exact behavior. James chapter 5, verse 9 gets right at it. It says, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So here in James, we see that judgment is coming for those who grumble. So why would God be judging something that's not sinful? He says, don't grumble against one another. Here we see the children of Israel grumbling against their leadership, Moses and Aaron. James says, don't do that or God will judge it. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And so here in Philippians, we see Paul telling the people that our attitude, whether we grumble and complain or whether we are thankful and gracious people, is a testimony to the rest of the world. He wants us to shine like stars in the sky in this crooked and perverse generation. How can we do that if at the coffee shop we're the ones complaining and grumbling more than anyone else? What's different about our life if we're the ones bickering and and arguing and grumbling? No, we are to shine like stars in a warped and crooked generation. Now, just to be clear, the Bible is not saying that we don't have legitimate situations or things or people to complain about. Israel's hunger was very real. It was. Their stomachs were growling. They hadn't eaten in days. But what God's word is saying is that complaining demonstrates a lack of faith. And it expresses an immature doubt in God's ability to provide for our daily needs. Look at the end of verse 8. Back to our uh, chapter in Exodus 16. The end of verse 8. Moses replies to the people and he says this. Who are we? He's referring to himself and Aaron. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. You see, no matter what or who we are grumbling about or against, in the end, it is against the Lord himself. So the next time you catch yourself grumbling or complaining about someone or something or, you know, whatever went wrong on the farm this week or at work, whatever you find yourself grumbling or complaining about, catch yourself and recognize it for what it is. It is sin. God says, Stop this. Don't do it. Repent of it. And resolve that rather than complaining about the person or the situation or whatever has gone wrong, look to God. Pray about it. Ask God to transform your attitude from grumbling to gratitude. Instead of looking at what's gone wrong, look at what's gone right. Look at all of his blessings. Ask God to meet your needs. And then in faith anticipate God's provision. This is how we should respond in these situations. The second thing we want to learn this morning from this text is that despite Israel's grumbling, God graciously provides. Turn with me now to verses 11 and 12. 
The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumblings of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And just as God promised, that evening a flock of Baskin-Robbins descends on the camp and the Israelites pounce and devour them. Okay, maybe not Baskin-Robbins, quails, right? It's a flock of quails. Out of nowhere, a flock of quails descends on the camp and they have their fill of meat, good protein to fill their bellies. And then, just as God said, the next morning something even more strange occurs. Verses 14 and 15. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Now in Hebrew, the Israelites question, What is it? In Hebrew, it's actually manha, manha. So this is where the name came from. Manna is literally in Hebrew, what is it? So every time they ate manna, they were eating, what is it? I don't know, but we're eating it. Sounds like the beginning of an Abbott and Costello skit. What is it? I just told you. What is it? What is it? Right? You got it? Okay. Have you ever experienced that before? Sitting down at the table to eat, and they put some food in front of you, and you look down at your plate, and you think to yourself, what is it? Anyone ever had that happen before? (laughs) A couple of you have, especially if you've eaten in cross-cultural contexts. That's what Israel did for 40 years. Just imagine that for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they said, can you pass some more of the, what is it, please? In verse 31, we go on to read how manna is described. It's uh, described like this. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Then if we move ahead to Numbers 11, verse 8, we are told how they could prepare it. The people went around gathering it, and then they crushed it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into cakes, and it tasted like something made with olive oil. So here we see there's some variety of ways that they could prepare their manna. They could have manna cakes, cream of manna, boiled manna, manna a la carte, fried manna, you name it. Manna, manna, manna. (laughs) All the different ways you could have manna. It reminds me of growing up on potatoes. You know, any way you want to have potatoes. Boiled, baked, fried, or mashed. Just delicious, right? But it's always the same thing. Potatoes. And the bottom line is this. Rather than allowing the grumbling and faithless people to starve as they rightly deserved, God graciously fed and sustained Israel every single day. And day after day, whether the people were grateful or grumbling, whether they were thankful for their manna or saying, Ugh, manna again, God still provided. God continued to give them their daily bread. Let me ask you, how patient, how merciful is our God? How good is our God in the face of all of our human sinful depravity, our grumbling, our complaining, our rebellion? Israel did it time after time after time. And yeah, God got fed up with it at times as well. But he continued to provide. 
Martin Luther wrote this. All this God does only because he is my good and merciful Father in heaven, and not because I have earned or deserved it. You see, every time we put food in our mouths, we should remember that because of God's great mercy and love, he does not treat us as our sin deserves. For rather than raining the fire of judgment upon the people, God rained upon them manna, bread from heaven. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. God gives us the manna of grace, poured out on the cross of Calvary, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, which covers even the worst of sins. Like Israel, we all begin lost in the desert of sin. Selfish by our very nature and hostile towards God, deserving nothing but his wrath. To the Ephesian church, Paul writes in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are being disobedient. All of us also lived amongst them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, just as the manna demonstrate. God's daily provisions for our needs. It is also a picture of our desperate need for God's grace every single day. For just as without physical bread we will die physically, without spiritual bread we will die spiritually. And the spiritual bread is none other than God's only Son, Jesus Christ. He is the bread of heaven. In John chapter 6, verse 35, we read his words. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Then if we jump ahead to verse 41 and notice the people's response to Jesus' words. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And so here we see, 1,400 years later, the people haven't changed. Just as in the Exodus, the Jews grumbled about Jesus. But then look at Jesus' rebuke to them in verse 43. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. It's as though Jesus is thinking back to the Exodus and he's saying, all these long years and you still haven't learned. And then in verses 47 to 51, Jesus spells it out for them as clearly as he possibly can. He says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. You see, as good and miraculous as the physical manna was that God provided daily for the Israelites, it could only prolong their physical lives. 
but it could not save their souls for eternal life. It is only by feeding on the bread of life, by believing in Jesus Christ and receiving God's grace, that we can live with God in heaven forever. John Wesley was a popular evangelist in early America, and he often rode from one church to another to preach by horseback. And on one such journey outside of Hanslow Heath, he was stopped by a thief, a highwayman, who shouted, Halt! Your money or your life! Wesley got down from his horse. He emptied his pockets to reveal only a meager handful of coins. He even invited the robber to search my saddlebags, in which he carried a few books. In disgust, the thief was turning away when John Wesley cried out, Stop! I have something more to give you. Puzzled, the robber turned back. Wesley then leaned. He bent over towards him and said, My friend, you may live to regret the sort of life in which you are engaged. If you ever do, I beseech you to remember one thing. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. The robber looked at him, stunned. Then he stopped and hurried silently away. It was years later, at the close of a Sunday evening service, a stranger stepped forward at the altar call and earnestly begged to speak with Wesley. Wesley recognized him as the robber from so many years earlier, and now he saw him as a respectable tradesman and, better still, a child of God. And raising Wesley's hands to his lips, he affectionately kissed it and said with deep emotion, To you, dear sir, I owe it all. And Wesley replied softly, Nay, nay, my friend, not to me, but to the precious blood of Christ, which cleanses us from all sin. I say again, how incredibly patient and merciful is our God. How good is he that in our sin, in complete rebellion against him, he does not give us what we deserve, he gives us grace and an opportunity to receive him. Now you might be looking at your life right now, and you might see your sin. You might see all of the ways that you have fallen short of God. And you may be looking at it and thinking, what a mess. What do I have to offer God? Not even God can want anything to do with me. But if you're thinking anything along those lines right now, let me tell you. God is even more patient than Israel was stubborn. And God's grace is bigger. Yes, it is greater than the worst thing you have ever done in your life. No matter how bad, no matter how egregious your sin, God's grace is greater. It is more powerful. Even if you have given up on yourself, even if you have written yourself off, God has not written you off. God has not given up on you. Because salvation is not about how good you are. It is about how good God is. If I were to say the name Miss Sullivan, how many of you would know who that is? Miss Sullivan. Probably none. I see no hands here today. But if I were to say the name Helen Keller, how many of you would recognize that name? Quite a few hands are going up. 
Of course, you will say Helen Keller was that deaf and blind girl who learned how to communicate and became an amazing spokeswoman for all those who were deaf and blind. And we marvel over her ability to have overcome these handicaps. But do you know who Helen Keller's teacher was? Miss Sullivan. So if anyone deserves the credit for what Helen Keller accomplished, it was Miss Sullivan. Because you see, Helen began not as a learned, well-adjusted, polite, well-spoken woman. No, she began as an absolutely rude and insolent little girl. But using all sorts of objects with infinite pains and an incredible amount of patience, Miss Sullivan persevered in teaching that insolent little girl the sign language by touch. Then, once communication with the outside world was established, her education proceeded, and the rest is history. Now think about how much more difficult it would have been for God then to deal with forever grumbling and stiff-necked sinners like the children of Israel. And how much more is it with dealing with us and our generation? But in spite of our handicaps and grumbling and doubts and defiance and complaints and demands and rebellion, God graciously provides the manna of heaven, the bread of life, And then by the inner working of the Holy Spirit, he gives us the ability to believe in Jesus Christ, whose precious blood cleanses us from all sin and gives us eternal life. My friends, is your soul starving today? Are you hungry for something more than what this life can offer you? Then stop grumbling about what you don't have and look to what God is offering you right now. Jesus Christ. The bread of heaven is yours this very moment through simple faith. So confess your sins, ask for God's forgiveness, and believe in his provision. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, if there is anyone here this morning who is feeling far from you, who this moment looks at their life and realizes they're stuck in that wilderness of sin, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would reveal to their hearts and minds this very moment that your grace is sufficient. That, Lord Jesus, your blood cleanses us from even the worst of our sins, the greatest of our doubts and fears, they can all be covered, washed away by your great power, your mercy, and your grace. And so, Father, today, if there is someone here who has never made that first step of receiving the bread of life for themselves, I pray that this moment they would do so and put their faith in you through simple believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who gave his life on their behalf. And Father, if there are those here today who have done that and yet this moment they realize that they have gone back into sin, living in ways that they know are displeasing to you, that are against your will, whether it's grumbling or rebellion or anything else, Lord, I pray that this moment they would simply confess and receive your grace and cleansing and then resolve to move forward in newness of life. And so, Father, this morning, bless your word to your people. We go out with thankful hearts for everything that you have done for us. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name.